Hello and welcome to Small Findings. I'm Jim Kang, an artist and software engineer. Each episode, I share a few bits of information that I've understood and absorbed recently, either via experience or research. Usually, we have a few roughly equally sized findings. This time, most of the episode is one finding about the process of getting paid for art via an art commission. And then we have some tiny findings about Roomba tires, bacteria, and JavaScript minification. All right, on to the findings. At the start of these episodes, I say that I'm an artist and software developer. But when I say artist, what I mean is that I regularly make art of various sorts, and I take it seriously. However, uh, to be clear, being an artist is not my job, meaning it's not how I get paid. However, I did have an experience that ended just last month that gave me a glimpse into the world of being paid for art. I'm on an email list run by my friend Allison Tannenhaus, who is a glitch and text artist. I've linked her site in the show notes so that you can see what that means. If you've ever been to Somerville and have seen the old payphones in Davis Square that say, long live obsolescence, you've seen her work. She aggressively seeks out opportunities to be paid for art and very kindly passes things she finds along to other artists. Most of these are calls for proposals or contests in which you submit some art asset, like an image or a sound file, and the organization asking for the art picks and pays winners. My art is often some sort of computer program that isn't often a good fit for these things, and I'm usually too busy to make something specifically for these calls for art. However, back in March of 2020, one of the calls was asking only for SVGs with fairly broad content guidelines. They wanted SVGs that would look good as murals in a condo complex. SVG is an image format that defines images via instructions for drawing lines and coloring in spaces instead of what raster image formats do, which is say, you know, in this this pixel at, you know, three comma 500, um, it's red. It just says what color goes in every pixel in the image. It occurred to me that I do have a few bots that produce uh, SVGs on a regular basis. Bots are computer programs that run on their own. They can be anything from a program that runs tests every time a pull request is made on GitHub to an automated uh, player in an online poker game. The bots I had in mind create images each day. One of them makes pictures of hills and the other works on drawing distorted cubes. Entirely on their own, they produce SVGs and web pages, and then they post snapshots of the things they've produced to their own blogs. I'll link them in the show notes if you want to see some examples. So thanks to these bots, I had a ton of images that I personally thought could work on a mural. I picked a few PNGs from each bot's blog, then I dropped them into the application. I believe they wanted uh, PNGs or JPEGs, even though that ultimately uh, they would want SVGs. This detail becomes important later. I sent it in on March 28th 
of 2020. I completely forgot about it after a few days. Two months passed. I got an email from the broker that had put up this call for art. It said that their client was interested in three of my pieces, the ones from the Hills bot. I guess they did not like the work of my other bot, uh, Slop Cube, which makes sloppy cubes. Too sloppy for murals, I guess. And this was May 31st. I should explain that the broker was named Codaworks, and they're a company that makes money by sourcing decorative artwork. Imagine the kinds of things uh, on the walls in a hospital or in a restaurant. They are the ones who get those kinds of things for these places. The client in this case was called RAL Companies and Affiliates LLC. They are a real estate developer. And for a condo in Philadelphia, they wanted 65 murals to go in the hallways and other common areas. Since it would take quite a while and it would be logistically difficult to have th that many murals painted on site, they opted to print SVGs onto wall coverings. CodaWorks asked again if I had SVGs for the images they were interested in. I did have one SVG, but I realized that it would take some work to get SVGs for the other two. The reason for this takes a bit of explaining. So just for a moment, bear with me. We're going to have to step away from getting paid for art and get into the weeds of SVGs for a little bit. The first thing to know is that the bots produce SVGs, but what they actually post to their blogs are PNGs, a raster image format. They don't save the SVGs. And the reason that they post PNGs instead of SVGs is that I found out that many RSS readers don't display SVGs. So to make their blogs more or less universal, I, I kept it to a raster image format. So how could I get the SVGs for those images? If I could rerun the part of the bots that make the decisions, then produce the SVGs in a web page, then I could just grab the SVGs out of the web pages for the images that the client was interested in. However, here's the problem. The Hills bot and many of my other bots make decisions randomly. This is how they get uh, varied results that are almost never repeated. So how could I have it reproduce a random sequence of decisions? Well, to explain this, we're going to have to go into another level of weeds and talk about random number generators. So, like all randomness on computers, the randomness used by these programs isn't truly random. Using a seed value, random number generators apply a series of operations to produce numbers that are hard to predict and seemingly random. So if you give a random number generator a seed, then ask it to produce 10 numbers, it will give you 10 seemingly random numbers. If you reset the random number generator and then ask it to produce 10 numbers again, it will produce the same 10 numbers that it did on the last run. So this is the key to reproducing random decisions made by computer programs. So by preserving the seed, yeah, you can replay a sequence of random numbers. And if you could do that, you can have a bot replay a sequence of random decisions. 
But to do this, you have to have saved the seed. I had not had the Hills bot do that until September of 2019, at which point it had been running for over a year and a half. Not remembering this at the time I sent in my proposal, I accidentally picked two images out of the three that were from the period before the bot saved the seeds. So for one of the images, I was easily able to have the program use the save seed to replay its decisions and produce this SVG that matched the PNG image that I sent in exactly. So that was easy. I wasn't sure about what I do about the other two though. I told CodaWorks that I had SVGs for one of the three ready and it would take a few days for me to get the other two. They were really nice about this, and they just told me up front, don't spend time on this now, we'll let you know when you should actually do the work for, for this. One and a half months passed. CodaWorks emailed me to tell me that Ariel, the real estate developer, was in the final review stage, and they wanted more images from me. This was July 13th. I have to admit, I was pretty flattered at the time. Sometimes I'm not as immune to external approval as I'd like to be. I just took another look at that email though, and I now see that the signature states that it was sent by mail merge for Gmail. A mail merge is a process for sending form letters en masse. So, so that same email was probably sent to hundreds of artists. So yeah, it's not so special there. At the time, I didn't realize that though. So the next day, I hacked in new color schemes into the Hills bot, and I uh, added a way to make it easier for me to extract an SVG uh, with the proportions they wanted. And I sent in 24 more Hills images. I did not hear from them again for another two and a half months. On September 28th, CodaWorks said that my art was selected by the real estate developer for use in their condo murals. Just the original three though. So the time I spent to produce the extra two dozen was uh, mostly for naught. Their email said that the, the Hills images were going to be on the 8th, 9th, and 13th floors of this condo in the hallways. Each piece was going to be printed as a mural that was seven and a half feet by 11 feet. And in meters, that's two and a quarter meters by three and a third meters. So pretty large. Because I don't have the means to produce large physical artifacts myself, I found this pretty exciting. This was in fact the aspect of the project that I was excited about in the first place. So now, I really did have to reproduce the SVGs for those two images that were, as you recall, created back in the days before the bot had saved this random seeds. I opened one of the PNGs in Inkscape, a vector graphics editor. I tried using the trace bitmap tool, which attempts to convert a raster image to SVG. Having tried a trace bitmap tool before in Adobe Illustrator, um, I wasn't hopeful. Uh, when I, back when I used it, Illustrator produced garbage, and, you know, Illustrator is expensive, 
Uh, not that expensive always means better, but it is what the pros use, and it's generally thought of as the best you could do. So yeah, I didn't expect much from Inkscape, and I did not get much from Inkscape's bitmap tracing. The results were pretty unusable and didn't look right. So I traced the PNG image by hand in Inkscape. This ended up taking hours, and it was not particularly fun. And yes, I did feel the irony of the situation while I was doing this. I had put the Hills bot to work making cool pictures for me. And here I was, now slavishly copying one of its creations. Who was the robot now? Also, when I started this process six months ago at this point, I thought, hey, the work has already been done by my bot. I'll just send it in and maybe it'll be on a mural. Well, uh, as you can see, it didn't quite work out that way. After that very manual experience, I looked harder at the part of the program that produces the image in a web page. I rediscovered that there's a part that produces a data structure um, that defines the hills to be rendered. And that part is separate from the part that actually renders the structure. So I could bypass the generation of that structure and just write out the structure in code and then have the rendering part just go at it. The structure is fairly high level um, saying, you know, there's you know, this many sets of hills and for each one, here's the high points and the low points and here's their colors. By defining that structure, I just cut out all the random decisions. So for that other, um, that other image, uh, I went through the cycle of just changing parameters in that structure, reloading the web page, and then uh, repeating that cycle until it produced an SVG that was close to what I had originally submitted to CodeWorks. That was actually a lot easier than tracing the whole image by hand uh, in a vector tool. Two weeks passed. On October 13th of 2020, CodeWorks contacted me again, asking me for an indemnification letter, a bio, a headshot, and an invoice via bill.com. I sent them all of that stuff right away. A couple of days later, they also asked me to email them a W-9 form, which lets them report to the IRS that they paid me. The form includes my social security number, which I did not want to send via email, and uh, they just let me send it via iMessage, which was really nice of them. Now my social security number is just between me, them, and Apple. I think before it used to be, uh, if I had sent this, I don't know, three years ago via iMessage, it would have been between just me and them. But you know, Apple has changed things in iMessage since then. Four days later, I asked about payment and CodaWorks reported that they're waiting for RAL, the real estate developer, to pay them. Another two weeks passed. On October 30th, my calendar reminder told me to ask about the payment again, so I did. They still didn't have it. A month passed. Again, I asked if RAL had paid CodaWorks so that CodaWorks could pay me. It was November 29th, 
It's been two months since my proposals were accepted at that point, and eight months since the start of the entire process. They still had not been paid by their client and couldn't pay the artist yet. About 11 days passed. On December 12th of 2020, I finally got paid. I thanked Coda Works for the $900. It was $300 per image. And it had now been about eight and a half months since the start of the process. You could almost gestate a human baby in that amount of time. I think at this point, you could imagine how hard it is to fully make a living by pursuing art commissions. I was incredibly lucky to have found out about this opportunity and to have matched the tastes of the real estate developer. There are at least two points after I had done work for the bid at which I could have been rejected. I'm sure that when that happens to somebody who counts on this as their main source of income, it's pretty brutal. If you generously put aside the work it took to make the Hillsbot in the first place, and then you also discount all the emailing, this required a total of about three days of work. $300 a day, um, $300 for each of those three days, uh, would be a decent wage in many living situations, but only if you work for most of the year. To work five days a week for 50 weeks, you'd have to land 80 of these commissions. And to land 80 commissions, you'd conservatively have to apply to, I don't know, 240 of these if you if you get one in three things you apply for. And my, my guess is that the odds are much grimmer than, you know, one in every three normally. So you'd probably have to apply for a lot more than that. And then of course, uh, there's a substantial lag between working and getting paid that salaried workers never have to deal with. We haven't even considered fighting with clients, which is an age-old contracting issue that goes well outside of just art stuff. Thankfully, CodaWorks was really friendly and good at communicating, so I didn't have to do any of that. But I'm sure not every client is like that. I'm extrapolating a lot about the experience of the professional artist from one experience here. But a lot of artists do go about their careers hunting commissions, which is a hard life. Here's a finding that I recorded months ago, but never included in the podcast. I have a quick finding for you that I've just validated about Roomba tires. We have a Roomba 770, and it's pretty old now, at least seven years old, and the tires have worn out. And when the tires wear out, it has problems with traction. So I went to the Roomba website to find a way to get replacement tires, but they don't sell replacement tires. They only sell entire wheel enclosures. So with no way to order just tires, I looked for third-party Roomba tires. But what I ended up finding is something on Imager where somebody showed how to use rubber wristbands to use as Roomba tires. Okay, so don't listen to that. The reason I didn't include it in the podcast is because two weeks later, the rubber bands came off the Roomba wheels and I put them back on, but then they came off the Roomba wheels again. And the more I put them back on, 
the more easily they came back off. So using rubber bands for Roomba tires is not actually viable. There's nothing I could do, and I actually did pay $60 for a pair of Roomba wheels. Now, here's a few really tiny findings. I met somebody named Seth at a conference uh, about four years ago or so. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a very unique name. And, you know, I didn't say anything about it to him. And I've seen it a few times since, and most recently in a blog post. After reading the blog post, I went to the homepage of the author of the blog post. And his name was Seth, but his domain was josephg.com. And I just realized that Seth is short for Joseph. It's not like a new name that I've never heard of. I learned that bacteria have a process called filamentation. In this, they make themselves extremely long. And the reason they do this is when they're really long like that, they're hard for protozoa and neutrophils, which are a kind of white blood cell, to swallow them. So bacteria get really long and then the white blood cells can't really just cover and absorb them. Pretty clever. And finally, I made an entry for this magazine that has this format in which you make your entry in HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, but the entire thing has to be a maximum of two kilobytes. In the end, I didn't use a minifier like Uglify.js, but I did end up basically hand minifying, basically doing what something like that would do. And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff like you know, using a lot of single letter variable names. But the finding here is maybe kind of a silly one, but the reason that minified JavaScript is all in one line is, uh, you know, I, I used to think like, okay, well, if you put it all in one line, then you get rid of those line break characters. But if you think about it, if you do that, then the code doesn't work anymore because there's no separation between statements. So you have to separate. You usually put in semicolons. In that case, have you really saved anything? Because you've got rid of a line break, but you've put in a semicolon. But the truth is there's, and I, I think a lot of people actually already knew this, the line break character is often called CRLF, carriage return line feed. And it's, it's two characters, the carriage return and the line feed. And it probably stems from the days where these were used as instructions for printing. So at the end of a line, you do your carriage return. You return whatever's printing to the very beginning of the line. And then you start another line. Anyway, that's why there are no line breaks in, in minified code. And those are all the findings for this episode. Thanks again for listening. And, as always, if you have a small finding to share, email me at smallfindings at fastmail.com. That's S-M-A-L-L-F-I-N-D-I-N-G-S at F-A-S-T-M-A-I-L dot com. Later!